how thankful we are for the power of music to convey messages that sometimes we can't express in mere words, and how thankful we are to have a choir, and this morning, a brass ensemble to allow us to enjoy the power of music even more. And of course, it was my pleasure to be this morning a lead percussionist for our group. <laughs> oh, I was the only percussionist for our group. <laughs> Death in Paradise. It's a show that comes to us from the BBC. It takes place on an island, a paradise, except that every week, Somebody dies, which in my book is not a paradise. You might be a little suspicious if the island motto is, people are always dying to come here, and if you die while here, we will publicize your death with a show. Death in paradise was also the theme for Genesis chapter 3, the very beginning of our Bible, we have this poetic rendition of a man and a woman in a garden, trying to figure things out, trying to do the right thing, but making mistakes, and in doing so, discovered vulnerability. That is, they realized that they could not control their environment. And the power of this Old Testament insight in Genesis is what resonates still for all of us. Our vulnerability generates for them in the third chapter of Genesis the first biblically recorded emotion. They were afraid. They were described as naked. That is the biblical rendition, the Hebrew word. They are vulnerable. They cannot control their environment, and they then become fearful. It is understandable that story emerging out of the ancient culture trying to figure out why is it that we experience pain? Why do we die? What is it about our lives that we feel so out of control and vulnerable? The Gospel of John, among our four Gospel accounts of the resurrection, is very careful, very precise. Even though it's a subtlety, the text is clear. If you listen, Mary Magdalene is confused by the figure that she encounters in the morning mist of that first Easter day, supposing him to be the gardener. It's John's subtle but very clear allusion to the fact that there was a man and a woman in a garden in Genesis chapter 3 when things appeared to go wrong. And now in John chapter 20, a very clear allusion for the Gospel of John to that first garden and that first man and woman, now a man and a woman in a garden made to set things right, to resurrect the wrongs of that first Eden and to now make good and right and beautiful this garden, our place, and our time.
I commend a book to you, Dominion, by Tom Holland. And it's not Tom Holland, Spider-Man Tom Holland, but Tom Highland, uh, Anglican scholar from England. The subtitle, Dominion, How the Christian Revolution Remade the World. It's not a small read. In fact, the New York Times comments, a galloping tour of Christianity's influence across the last 2,000 years. Tom Holland is very specific about historical events that occurred not by chance or by people just getting together and deciding this would be a good and compassionate thing, but because an obscure rabbi in a little backwater province called Judea in the Roman Empire was resurrected, that something happened 2,000 years ago that transformed simple people like you and me into powerful witnesses of a gospel message that would change history. Now, it's understandable if we ask the question, that sounds good, and this sounds like an interesting read, but we still have sadness and pain and death and war and invasion of innocent people in lands that don't deserve the tragedies like Ukraine is experiencing right now. It's understandable to question, well, how did this make a difference? And the answer Tom Holland and others throughout history have acknowledged is that the resurrection of Jesus, that empty tomb in Jerusalem, generated a whole new perspective on the world that moves us simply from a Garden of Eden to a land and a world filled with little Christ. That's the word that Christians, or that's the translations that the word Christian means, little Christ. That that empty tomb, the resurrection of Jesus, generates in you and me a whole new sense of perspective and power. There is a resurrecting of Eden in the sense that you and I are called, in fact, empowered to do things we would not have done had there not been a resurrection. There would be no reason to follow this ragtag group of people claiming to have some kind of new message if there were not some kind of amazing power lying behind the witness. One simple example exists among us. Two weeks ago, Mark Green and I had the great privilege of being a part of an NPR and German public radio interview. Six women who were teachers at our first school were being interviewed by a journalist, intrigued by the fact that in this space, we have people whose stories are quite amazing, flying under the radar, unfortunately, but powerful stories of survival, resilience, and new family. The first story to be recounted was a woman who was a refugee, not because of war, 
but because of discrimination. Because of her disability and her husband's disability, they were rejected by their families. And then they heard about a group of people somewhere on the other side of the world that would not only allow them to be here in this place, but actually serve in a capacity that is changing little children's lives and ministering to our children in first school. She's now a teacher helping us in this space. Story after story emerged, some which I sort of knew but didn't know details. And a woman from Afghanistan, war-torn country, had to flee, heard about other places that she could go, went to other countries, six different countries. She stayed for a while, finally heard about a place that would allow her to come from Afghanistan and be here, not just as a person to exist, but to give back to a community that welcomed her. She now is a teacher at our first school, teaching children. Three more women, all from Bosnia, coming here in 1999, 2000, and 2001, originally having gone to Germany for refuge. But when the war they thought was over, they were sent back, all three of them, to Bosnia. The problem was all three of them were in mixed marriages, one Christian, the other Muslim. Bosnia had been carved up into enclaves so that none of the enclaves would accept a family that had a Christian and a Muslim as husband and wife and children. And all the women said, I was not going to leave my children and my husband. We had to find somewhere else to go. And they heard about a place that would welcome them with compassion. And they now together are serving as teachers in our first school, teaching children, giving them love, supporting their parents and families. This happens, you see, as a direct result of this empty tomb in Jerusalem. Today, it is in this sacred city. It's kind of obscure. There are other sites competing with, is this the actual spot or not? In fact, the guys that take you around this fascinating garden tomb, it's called, in English, Arabic, and Hebrew. Others say, well, no, it's more likely that it was the space of what is now the Church of the Holy Sepulcher. But in Jerusalem, there is this walled garden, which, by the way, is the actual uh, translation of the word paradise. Paradise is one of the oldest words of any vocabulary anywhere. It comes to us, scholars say, probably from the original mother tongue of almost all languages called Sanskrit from India. And in that language, the word paradise simply means walled garden, enclosed, sacred space. It is a walled, enclosed garden tomb in Jerusalem, surrounded by incredible beauty. As you move through that garden tomb space, you're struck by the colors and the quiet, even surrounded by the chaos of a busy city. The quiet and the solitude then leads to a space that some of us will be seeing in a few weeks as we visit 
this place in Jerusalem. You look to a tomb that the guides will say, this might not be the spot, but it's in a garden outside what, have been, what would have been the original walls of the Roman city of Jerusalem. There was a wine press within this garden. It fits all the characteristics of having been the remains of a limestone quarry outside the city that had been changed into a place where prisoners were tortured and killed and then entombed nearby. It might not be this spot, but it would have looked like this spot. You're allowed to move up the steps into the tomb, and this mystical moment, you turn around inside the tomb, and you see the sign. He is not here, for he is risen. This resurrection that occurred then, this resurrection that occurs now, if you believe in resurrection, we no longer have to be afraid of weakness. Honesty and vulnerability no longer need to frighten us. That garden then has been resurrected into this garden now. Recognizing the reality of our true condition recognizes, liberates, lifts, and empowers. That's because if you believe in resurrection, you believe in second chances, accepting forgiveness, moving on with life, living now to the fullest, planning for tomorrow, caring for God's earth, sharing with God's children, loving with grace, forgiving with humility, trying with enthusiasm, welcoming the stranger, standing against oppression, setting the captive free, contributing with joy, trusting with faith, studying with boldness, listening with eagerness, learning with anticipation, looking with gratitude, seeing others through God's eyes, experiencing others with God's heart. When you believe in resurrection, all the world becomes as poetry. Every mountain you need to climb becomes an exciting vista. Every obstacle, an opportunity. Every person, a potential neighbor. Every enemy, a potential friend. Every failure, a potential portal to a fuller and more experienced life. When you believe in resurrection with Mary Magdalene, an empty tomb generates the potential of paradise, that resurrected garden of life and faith for the here and now. Jesus calls her name, and your own name, our own names, resonate, echoing off the limestone walls like music. It mingles with the bird song, crescendos with gentle wind, rises with the morning sun, the sound of resurrection, the music of Easter. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. When Beethoven constructed and put together and composed his ninth symphony, today we know connected with ode to joy and joyful, joyful, we adore thee. When Beethoven put together the ninth symphony, he couldn't hear the music, but he could feel it. This day, brothers and sisters, may you feel the resurrection reverberating and resonating in your heart and spirit this day and forevermore. Thanks be to God. Amen.